Hey, everybody, so good to be with you today. So glad that you joined us. If you are watching for the first time, my name is Jason Williver. I'm the directing pastor here at Crossroads. And I believe this is week nine in this never-ending fall sermon series through the book of James in the New Testament. We're going section by section through the book of James, and we're calling this series Practical because it's just all practical application stuff. And there's probably no more practical section than one we're looking at today, which is James chapters 4, verses 13 through 17. Before we begin, you may notice I have a bruise on my eye. No, my wife did not punch me. I got up in the night to go to the bathroom and didn't turn on the light and hit a door frame. So anyway, you can stop thinking about that. That's what happened. All is good at home. Anyway, hear this reading from um, James 4, beginning at verse 13 from the English Standard Version. He writes, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your promises. I thank you for your presence with us. I thank you that we can build our lives on you and your word and have a firm foundation. Come, Holy Spirit, fill my heart and fill the heart of everyone listening Let us grow in our love for you today and our understanding of your word and put our lives more fully into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. So one time not long ago, I asked my wife, Janice, how would you describe your husband to someone who'd never met him? She paused for a moment and then said, huh, I guess I'd say, well, he really likes personality tests. Now, I was a little taken aback by that. I mean, I thought she might say, you know, He's a really good-looking guy. I thought she might say, he's the best father anyone could ever want. But she said, he really likes personality tests. But truthfully, that is the case. I have just always been a huge fan of those personality tests. And there's so many you can take. And I'm always trying to get people to take them and then talk to me about it. I just love that stuff, have for years. I'm actually a certified Myers-Briggs type indicator um, facilitator or administrator, so that's kind of interesting. Anyway, though, one of the personality assessments that is pretty common today, which you might have taken, especially if you work at Caterpillar, I know they have used it, it's the Clifton Strength Finder Assessment. And this is a test that you take online, and it helps you determine how you're naturally wired. And the way it works is that you log on, you put in the code, and then you answer a bunch of questions that they ask, and you do it kind of quickly in a gut reaction kind of a way. And then it tells you which five of these 34 different talents or personality traits are the most prominent for you. And supposedly, when you find out what your top five are, this is how you have been since you were very small. You're only supposed to take this assessment one time because after that it could skew the results. However, I've taken it several times because I just like these things. But one of the top 
themes or talents of the 34 that always ends up in my top five is one that they call futuristic, which sounds a lot cooler than it is. But this is how Gallup describes people who have this futuristic theme. It says people who are especially talented in the futuristic theme are inspired by the future and what it could be. And it inspires others to follow their vision of the future. I thought that sounds a lot more like Walt Disney than me, but I will tell you, I have always had a preoccupation with the future. That's just how my mind works. This is why I love daydreaming and talking about the return of Jesus when he'll come to judge the living and the dead and resurrect his people to live with him in the new heaven and the new earth forever. I love that stuff. But over the past couple of years, when people have asked my opinion on how I think certain things will play out or pan out in the future, I have said the same thing over and over. I tell them, my crystal ball is broken. I have no idea. Things are changing every day. Now, this doesn't mean that I don't know where I'd like to be in the future or how I hope things will go. It's just that I have found that it's absolutely futile for us to think that we can anticipate how certain events will transpire in the future because we have no control over almost all of that. When we were starting the year 2020 here, we thought this is going to be a great year. We were having revival. The Holy Spirit was moving. We had no idea that in February we would have to shut down the church completely with the rest of the world that was shut down because of the pandemic. And then when we reopened it, we had no idea we have to shut it down again. It's been a crazy season of unpredictability. This last winter, I had no idea during the Olympics that Russia would invade the Ukraine and it would be so drawn out and that we'd have this economic crisis throughout the world and the people's investments would diminish and we have no idea when it's going to get better. I had no idea any of that was happening. In everything, things are changing every day. My crystal ball is broken. So while I still firmly believe that it's good to have a picture in our mind, maybe on paper, of where we'd like to be in 5, 10, 20 years to help guide our daily decision-making, lately, I feel like I'm called to focus more on my one-day goals rather than my five-year goals. But here's the interesting thing. The scriptures teach that that is closer to how God wants us to live focusing on daily goals, daily practices, rather than trying to control the future. That's definitely what our text teaches us today. In verse 13, James says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. One of the commentaries I read this week explained that this was a contemporary picture that James readers could easily recognize. Remember that James is writing primarily to a group of Jewish Christians around the year 44 AD or so. And apparently, opposing, uh, according to this author, uh, William Barclay, that Jewish people were perceived by others to be great traders and merchants in the ancient world. And the ancient world gave them many opportunities to practice their entrepreneurial abilities. During this age, many new cities were being founded. And when founders were looking for new citizens to occupy the cities, supposedly they would offer free citizenship to Jewish people because they believed that where Jewish people went, money and trade would accompany them and it would be better for the whole town. 
So the picture painted by James here of, is of an entrepreneurial merchant looking at a map. He points to a certain spot and says, here is a new city where there are great trade opportunities. I'm going to go there. I'm going to get it on the ground floor. I'm going to make a profit, and then I'll come home, and then I'll do it again. And James says that such a response is a little arrogant from the point of view of a human being because we have no idea what tomorrow will bring. The future is entirely out of our control. However, we have to all interact with the future in decision-making. And in this day, there's much uncertainty about the future. People are under stress with their jobs, not knowing if they're going to be able to keep their jobs or going to have to do a different job, and if so, how that's going to affect their lifestyle and their retirement and their income. That adds a certain stress. And people aren't sure how their health is going to go or the health of others or what's going to happen tomorrow with their health. And then there's all the crazy stuff in the religious world and the denominational world going on. But this wonderful passage in James uh, gives three helpful suggestions that I find here for how we Christians can face the future. And so the first one is this. From this passage, we learn that we should give our tomorrows to God. He says in verse 13, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we should live or do this or that. James says the primary mistake we make with regard to the future is thinking that it is ours to map out and plan. When we think it's ours to plan and control, we're wrong. We set ourselves up for disillusionment, pain, frustration with ourselves and those who block our goals, circumstances that block our goals of the future. He said that's not an intelligent or helpful way to live. We don't know what hard things tomorrow might hold. We also don't know what beautiful things tomorrow might hold. This week, I was thinking back to January 8th, 2009, when my wife Janice was pregnant with our fourth child. When she got up that morning, she was bleeding, and we were both heartbroken because we assumed that it was a miscarriage. It had every sign of a miscarriage. We called our OBGYN doctor, and he wasn't in, but his nurse said, yeah, it sounds like you probably lost the baby. And she said, you know, the doctor's not in today for him to look at it, so you probably need to go to the emergency room just to make sure and then schedule an appointment for a follow-up with us. Man, we had been to the emergency room for other things with our other kids, and we thought, man, do we really have to spend the whole day in the emergency room and find other plans for our three other kids just to have confirmed this bad news that we know to be true. Nevertheless, we thought, geesh, we'll just go. So we made arrangements for the other kids, and I took Janice to the emergency room in Belleville. But when they got there, they took her pulse and blood pressure, and her blood pressure was incredibly low, and they could barely find her pulse. And so they quickly rushed her into a room, and then all these staff members started flooding around her. And they found out through x-ray that her stomach had filled with blood. Again, they could barely find a pulse. And so they came out and told me, you need to know your wife is very ill and we're going to take her back and we're trying to find the doctors to do an emergency surgery, figure out what's going on. I said, what? I said, you're saying her life is at risk? They said, 
she's very ill. I thought, oh my gosh. I mean, I'd already thought that we'd lost our baby that morning. Now they're saying, I need to be prepared. My wife might not make it. And so anyway, I went to see Janice. She was all peaceful. She's like, honey, it's going to be okay. And I'm like, for you, it's going to be okay. You get to go to be with Jesus. What about me? What about the kids? What are we supposed to do when you go to be with Jesus? Anyway, so peacefully, she was taken back. And then I had to keep making more arrangements for the kids because I knew it was going to be a day with a lot of uncertainty. And so friends from church came and helped with the kids. If friends came and sat with me, family came to help. By the end of the day, and we met with the doctors again. Two surgeons met with us, and they said, well, it was pretty messy in there. Basically, her intestines were tied in a knot, and we had to take them out and untangle them. I mean, you can just imagine this picture, because intestines are long, and put them back in. But we think we took care of it, and she'll be fine. This she'll be in the hospital for some days. I said, okay, well, that's good news. And I said, I assume the baby's gone. And they're like, actually, the baby's doing quite fine. The baby should be just fine. At that point, I almost fell out of my chair. I mean, I had assumed that the baby was gone first thing in the morning. Now it's the end of the day. After all that turmoil, I get my wife back and I get the baby back. That baby is now 13 years old. Her name is Reagan. We still don't know where the red hair came from. It may have been from whatever happened that day. But we've always considered Reagan our miracle child. I had no idea what crazy things would happen that day. The fear, the shock, the horror. But then the miracle that we would get at the end of the day. Every day we have no idea. A friend of mine asked me at that time if I felt like God had been teaching me anything through all of that. And I said, yes, God has been teaching me that I am not in control. And this can be a very painful lesson to learn, especially for those of us who love thinking about the future and planning and keeping a schedule. But if we can learn it, that while we're not in control, he is, we can experience a bit of peace and liberation. When we learn to let go and trust God, doing our best, making our best plans, but trusting him with the rest. It's not that planning is wrong. Of course, we have to make plans. You don't go anywhere. We have to make schedules. But James says when we make them, we make them tentatively and prayerfully, submitting ourselves to whatever God would desire. This is what it means in verse 15 when he says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. For hundreds of years, early Christians when they were writing letters, would sign their name at the bottom, and then they would write the, word, the letters DV, which was Latin for Deo Valente, which means God willing. James says this is how we should make plans. The Lord willing will do this. We see Paul the Apostle saying these kind of things. Lord willing, I will come to see you. If the Lord permits, I will do this. We do this, we do our best, we make our plans, but then we write DV at the bottom of our plans. Lord willing. But if the Lord has something else in mind, or if he knows something else in coming, we're going to lean into his will. We can't control tomorrow. It might be worse than we hoped. It might be better than we hoped. But it's almost surely going to be different than we had planned because we can't control the future. So we might as well give our tomorrows to God. The second suggestion I find here for facing the future is that we need to secure our eternity with God. 
Since we have no idea what tomorrow will bring, or today, we need to make sure we secure our eternity with God here and now. It says in verse 15, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I mean, how can a mist boast of doing great things and controlling great things in this world that is so unpredictable? You know, sometimes I do something that other people find odd, but I find very helpful. I'll go get my Taco Bell or I'll go to Casey's and get a slice of pizza. And then I'll go and I'll sit in a cemetery and eat it. I'll just sit in my van and I'll look at the names on tombstones and look at the dates or I'll go for a walk through a cemetery. I just find it very helpful to be reminded of how brief life is. I'll look at the dates that people lived and see how long they lived and some haven't lived very long at all. Some live very long and I like to think of what was going on in the world at that time and the stresses those people might have felt and the joys they might have experienced and then I remind myself how completely irrelevant all the things were that really weighed them down when they were on earth. None of that matters now because we are but a mist and we will go that way soon. When our son Landry was little, one time we were driving by a cemetery and Landry said something like, that's where all the dead people are. And Janice and I said, yep. And he said, I hope to be buried under a tree. And Janice said, well, that's probably possible, but hopefully it won't be for a long time yet. The truth is that it's coming very soon for all of us. Landry is now 18. He's a freshman at Taylor University in Upland, Indiana. We went there as a family to visit him last weekend for homecoming weekend, and it was people all over the campus and all these events taking place. It was a joyous weekend, but there was also a great deal of sadness on the campus because earlier that week, Tuesday, another freshman, Connor Phillips, who was an athlete and a member of the lacrosse team, was found unconscious and without a pulse in his dorm room, and then he passed away. I believe it was from a diabetes-related uh, condition. The campus had been mourning all week, and as a Christian university, they were rallying together around the words of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, which says that we grieve, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. And so when we face the incredible pain and grief of loss in our world, we do it with great hope because our Savior, Jesus, has overcome this world and overcome death. And he said, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And this is why we need to make sure that we secure our eternity with him today, as long as it is called today. It says in Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our Lord for he will abundantly pardon. Life on earth is brief, but eternity is forever and it is a reality. And God is waiting with open arms to receive all who seek him while they have breath in their lungs. And how we do that is repenting of our sin and receiving Jesus as our Lord and the risen Savior and committing our lives to him. Everyone who's ever accepted Christ did it on a day in history. If you haven't secured your eternity with God through confessing him as Savior and Lord and giving your life to him and receiving his forgiveness and adoption to his family, do it today. 
Tomorrow is not promised, but today we can establish our eternal connection with God as his eternal children who will live with him forever. And that's why the apostle John wrote in 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So we can't control the future. We must learn to give our tomorrows to God. We need to immediately secure our eternity with God. And finally, we must live our todays for God. Verse 17, he says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The Bible points out that there's two kinds of sins. Sins of commission and sins of omission. A sin of commission is when someone knows what they shouldn't do and they do it. They commit a sin anyway. A sin of omission is we know the good things we ought to do and we don't do the good thing. The specific sin that he's talking about here is when we know we ought to give our tomorrows to God and live for his will, but we don't do it. That's a sin of omission. But there may be any number of sins of omission that any of us might find ourselves committing. Perhaps we know we need to forgive someone, but we haven't done it yet. Perhaps we know we need to apologize to someone, but we haven't done it yet. Perhaps we know we need to serve God in some capacity, but we aren't doing it yet. Perhaps we know we need to tell someone we love them or tell someone about Jesus, but we haven't done it yet. Perhaps we need to give our lives to Jesus, but we think it doesn't fit into our agenda and our schedule right now. We often put things off thinking that there will always be time for that later. We've got so many things that we might consider so important going on right now that we can't really just submit our lives fully to God. But that is what God is calling us to do every day and to live that way. So friends, don't let your plans, which are so uncertain, get in the way of you living for Jesus here and now. I love what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, as it's translated in the version of the Bible known as the message. He says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard thing comes up when the time comes. Friends, you will never live this day again. And today may be your last, so make it count. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your power and your love. Thank you, Lord, that you're always here with us in the present. And the present is all that exists right now. The future doesn't even exist except in your mind and omniscience. So Lord, let us invite you and your power into the presence. If there's someone listening who needs to fully surrender their life to you today and secure their eternity, let them do that right now. If there's someone here who's having control issues and they need to stop trying to control everything and everyone, let them do it right now. God, we thank you for the promise of forgiveness when we turn to you. And now we pray that prayer that unites us with all believers of all times as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us confess what we believe as Christians. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.